0: One of the things that robs us of joy is when things don't go as we had planned, we work and we work and we work and we strategize and we figure out what we're trying to accomplish and and then something goes wrong and we get frustrated and that works against our joy. Well, guess what? God frustrates us on purpose sometimes. We're going to talk about that today as we continue our study of Ecclesiastes, Hi, I'm Doug Gooden. I'm the president of CrossCon Ministries and New Covenant School of Theology, and my goal in these studies is to help you really understand the Word of God and learn how to uh, study it for yourself. Uh, so that's what we're going to do here today. Uh, good morning, Carol. Thanks for the for the kind word. Glad you're loving the series. Uh, someone mentioned to me the other day how much they love Ecclesiastes. I do too. Uh, as we've said, there's a there's a there's an understanding out there that uh, Ecclesiastes is depressing. Um, nihilistic. I used that word and someone uh, told me they weren't really sure what that means. It just means that, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing at all. All is me- utterly meaningless, which is what Solomon says. But I find this book to be very, very uh, encouraging uh, if we understand its message. So we're going to dig into it. But first, I want to remind you today, as I do every day, uh, that this is a good day. This is a really good day. And I'm going to do my part, and then you do your part, and I want you to say your part uh, so that everybody in your household can hear it. People in the coffee shop, wherever you are, they can hear it. Today is the day the Lord has made, and your part, we will rejoice and be glad in it. And let's drink from our coffee cup and enjoy the Lord's goodness. And I hear echoes through my household as uh, as my family is repeating that. All right, so we're continuing with Ecclesiastes and today we're in chapter 3 and chapter 3 is famous for anyone my age and older because in uh, the mid 60s the birds put this uh, passage uh, to music. In everything there is a uh, uh, I forget how it goes now. I'm not quite old enough to know it. Uh, turn, 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 and everything, and there's a time for this and time for that. They go through the passage. That's the, the famous passage. There, there's a time for everything. So we're going to look at that uh, together here. And that's exactly what Solomon says here. There is an appointed time for everything, and there's a time for every event under heaven. Now, we'll get into these, uh, these next statements, but I want you to just have in the back of your mind as we go through the word appointed, there's an appointed time, there's a time set. And the question that uh, we will answer by the end is, who sets that time? You probably already know, but it's important uh, to understand what's being said here. There's an appointed time for everything. And there is a time for every event under heaven. And now he's going to give a series of expressions that cover one end of the spectrum to the other. Uh, We use this in common discussion today. Uh, It's called a merismas, where you give two extremes, and you are describing both ends and everything in in between. Uh, When Jesus said, I'm the alpha and the omega, right? That's A to Z. That's the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter. And and he's everything from both sides, from from end to end. Uh, Again, we bring that in English and say, uh, that uh, that guy covered everything A to Z. There's nothing that he didn't cover. Uh, in, the, in the beginning of Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we see heavens and earth all throughout the Bible. Uh, that's a That's That's covering all extremes, the far reaches of heavens down to the lowest earth and everything in between. So these statements that Solomon's going to give us is talking about really every aspect of life. So, He says, there's a time to give birth and a time to die. Probably that first one is not you giving birth, if you're a woman, but you being born, someone giving birth to you. There's a time for that. There's a time for you to be born. There's a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep. And a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to throw stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to shun embracing, a time to search, and a time to give up is lost, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear apart, and a time to sew together, a time to be silent, and a time to speak a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time of peace. You see how he's covering just the whole gamut of all these things. Now we'll come back and talk about some of those, but in order to really understand why he's saying what he's saying, we need to see where he's going. He asks the question after all of that, what profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? It's the same question he's been asking since the beginning. Is there any profit, any advantage to all the work that man de- does under the sun? Is there any lasting significance and substance? Well, how does that fit with what he just said? There's a time for being born, a time to die. What well, What's that have to do with this question? The answer is, God is the one who determines what time it is. God does that. Verse 11, he has made everything. God has made everything appropriate, it says here in uh, in my translation, or the, uh, the, the Hebrew is actually more along the lines of uh, appro- uh, beautiful. He's made everything beautiful in its time. God determines what time it is, and he makes everything fit and appropriate and beautiful for its time. Let that sink in. Whatever time of your life, whatever you're going through, whatever is happening for you, whatever is happening in the world, God is providentially bringing that time to pass and it's appropriate. It's beautiful. Even the hard things are beautiful. Now with that in mind, let's go back and look at some of these. It's a time to give birth or to be born. You didn't set that time. God decided when you would be born. And the day is coming when you and I and everyone else will, will die. We don't get to choose that. Uh, God chooses that. Um, he sets the time. There's a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. You got to plant when it's the time to plant. And it's a fool's game to, uh, to plant when it's not time for planting. Uh, this summer, my son uh, bought some wood and a bunch of dirt. And he made a really nice planter, I don't know, two and a half or three feet by three feet kind of thing. And my daughter went and bought uh, a bunch of uh, beautiful plants to put in it. My wife and I were gone for a weekend. We came back and it was done and it was beautiful. And we got to watch it all summer long. Uh, What would happen if today, the 29th of October, here in Colorado Springs, what would happen if he decided to build that today? and my daughter bought plants today and, uh, and filled this outdoor flower box with plants. Well, she would learn the hard way, this is not the time to plant. Uh, God is the one who decided that in the springtime, that's when things will grow if you plant them and water them and so on, and the fall and the winter is when they, they die. Um, the leaves are all changing around us. Some of you live in beautiful places. Uh, we have beautiful aspen trees here in Colorado Springs and, uh, and a little further up in the mountains, and they turn you know yellow, and there's some red trees and so on. It's beautiful, and I know like on the East Coast, other places, it's even uh, more gorgeous. Well, that doesn't happen in the spring. That happens in the fall because God has determined things turn green in the springtime and they turn different colors and the leaves fall off and the trees hibernate uh, in in the wintertime. He decides what time it is. And there's a time to tear up the old uh, plants and get ready for the winter with them. He says there's a time to kill and a time to heal. That one's a little harder. Uh, We can can appreciate the time to heal part, uh, but he says sometimes it's a time to kill. You think of a government maybe. Um, uh, and he goes on at, at the end It says there's a time for war. There, there is a time for battle, and then there's a time for peace. Uh, maybe you've had a, an injured animal, and there's a time when you, when you want to heal that animal, and it's worth it to, uh, to restore it to health, and other times it's the time to put them down uh, and to move on to uh, other things. Uh, he says there is a time to tear down, and a time to build up. Sometimes it's a time for construction. Sometimes it's a time for destruction. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. When you are at a funeral, that is the time for weeping. As you're uh, gathering around with loved ones and remembering uh, the one who has passed on, uh, that is the time to, uh, to mourn, to weep. Oh, there may be some remembrance of celebration. And, and I've, as a pastor, I've done funerals or memorial services where people have said, I don't want this to be a sad occasion. I want this to be a, a joyful occasion because we're celebrating that, that my, my wife has gone on to be with Jesus or my, my child or whatever. And, and we can try to do that. But in every one of those cases, there's still a lot of tears. You can't get away from it when you're reflecting on someone who has died. You can't help but mourn it. And that's the appropriate response. God has decided for this person, this family, now's the time for mourning and weeping. But weddings are a time for laughter and dancing. And new births are a time for dancing and celebration. And uh, when God has just Poured out blessing upon you. That's the time to laugh and enjoy His good gifts. God sets those times up, and we're to respond appropriately. He says there's a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. That might be uh, building things with stones, or, or maybe even weapons of war. There's a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. There's a time to search and a time to give up as lost. I don't know if my wife is listening at this moment, uh, she probably is, or uh, even if even if she were is not listening, she knows that I'm going to use her as an illustration. Uh, you know that story that Jesus told about the, the woman who lost a coin, and she turned everything in her house upside down, swept every corner, picked up every piece of furniture, she could not rest until she found that coin? Yeah, I'm married to that woman. Uh, when we lose something, it really doesn't matter how expensive it is, how valuable it is. If we lose something, she loses sleep until sh- we find it. And I can't tell you how many times in the last 29 years of our marriage that uh, we've lost something, and she searches and searches and searches, and she get distracted with other things for a while because she, you know, has a life to live. But man, as soon as she gets a down moment, she's at back searching and wondering and searching and wondering and Rustling through her mind over and over again. What could have happened to it? Where might it have been? Uh, Some months ago, my daughter lost her laptop. Yeah, a full laptop. And it was an older one, and there was a sense in which it wasn't a, a great loss, but yeah, still a laptop. And my wife could not let go and figure out. She had to figure out what happened to it. And my admonishment to her repeatedly in all these times is right here from Ecclesiastes 3. Babe, I think it's time to give up as lost. And she'll tell me she does. Well, guess what? Just the other night, my other daughter came in from cleaning her car and she comes in and she's got the laptop after months of it uh, being missing. And my wife was rejoicing and mad that she had given up because she was upset that she she didn't go out and look in in that car. And she's now going to throw that back at me and say, see, it wasn't time to give up his lost yet. If we we kept looking, we could have found it. It was right there out in the car. There's a time to search and really seek and find. And there's a time to say, you know what? I think it's gone. We got to move on. Well, who determines what time it is? There's a time to keep. There's a time to throw away. There is. There's a time to get rid of it. There's a time to clean out the house and say, you know what? That thing has served its purpose. We're going to toss it and move on. And there is a time to keep things. Uh, Hoarders, there is a time to throw things away. And uh, some of you who get bored of something quickly and toss it, maybe, maybe it's time to keep some things. There's a time to tear apart and time to sew together. There's a time to be silent. There are occasions when the best thing we can do is just close our mouths and not say a word. Other times, you really do need to speak up, even if it's hard, even if you don't particularly want to, even if you're a little concerned about what the response will be, it's time for you to speak, whether they're words of encouragement or admonition or comfort, whatever, there's a time to do that. Verse 80 says, there's a time to love and there's a time to hate. Now we know the rest of Scripture says we're not to hate anyone absolutely or ultimately. But there is a time to, to reject. There's a time to not pursue a uh, loving relationship. Um, kind of in the in the vein of casting pearls before the swine. Jesus says, don't do that at times. Not hate where you really want to see someone be harmed, but just in general, Uh, love would say I'm to pursue and pursue and pursue and hate says no I need to um, let that relationship go I've had people ask me over the years um, for counsel for you know relationships especially where there's just some estranged uh, family member and they say in order for our relationship to remain intact my family member desi- requires me to give in on principles or to admit things I didn't do, something along those lines. And they want to know, do, am I required to to just pursue that relationship anyway, even though they've set up these uh, these contingencies for our relationship? And, and I said, I don't think so. I think that would fit into this category. Not Again, not hate with a, a violence and a desire to see them suffer pain, but um, re- rejection. Remember, Jesus said, you can't be my disciple if you don't hate, and he uses the word hate, your your mother, your father, and your sister, and your brothers, and your children, everybody. So compared to our devotion to him, it's almost like we hate others. We will always choose him over choosing other family members. I think that's more than what he's getting at here, is there's a time to really pursue in love, and there's a time to, to let that relationship go and, and give that relationship up as loss, if you will. So all of these back and forths, of a time for, and again, the question we must keep asking is, who determines what time it is, and do I know what time it is? There's a sense in which I think that is the heart of what biblical wisdom is. God has determined what time it is. Do I know? Do I know the appropriate response to what He has brought in my life right now? And the appropriate response sometimes is that celebration and joy and building up and and uh, being productive. But we need to always do that with the knowledge that the times will change. He will bring the harder times. He will bring the time to mourn. He will bring the time to tear down. He will bring the time um, to throw away. And then when those times get really, really hard and we're mourning, it seems like every day it's just, it's just sorrow, we need to remember God established that time as well, and he will bring the times of, of celebration and dancing again. Certainly, if not in this life, we know he will bring it in the next life. So back to the broader context here. Solomon says, Then what profit is there to the worker from that which in which he toils? I've seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. I've looked out at life. I've seen all of these different times and occasions, and I'm still asking the question, what's the profit? What's the benefit? Then verse 11, he has made everything appropriate in his time. God's done that. And then this next verse, anybody who knows me, by the way, as a Bible teacher knows that I love to ruin people's favorite Bible verses. It's one of my favorite things to do. And what I mean by that is we have all these coffee cup texts, you know, all these placard texts. Um, Jeremiah 29, 11. How many times have you heard people quote that? I know the plans that I have for you and there are plans for, you know, prosperity and not for this. Well, if you read that in context and read just a few verses later, God also says, or I may bring destruction on you. Uh, why don't we ever put that on a coffee cup? Why don't we put those on our placards? It's because we sort of pick and choose at times. Um, I did a whole series of on this uh, on a podcast uh, a couple years ago. And for instance, uh, Philippians one six, um, God causes uh, nope. That's Romans eight twenty eight. Um, he who began the good work in you will be faithful to complete it. If you look at the context there, he's not really saying to you as an individual. Whatever God has begun in you, he's going to complete it. That's not, that's not the context. It's important to know what the context is. Well, this is another one of those verses that I hear people quote all the time, but I don't think they really know the context or the meaning. The, the verse is this. It's a verse 11, second part. He has also set eternity in their heart. So God has made everything appropriate in his time, and he has set eternity in their heart. So He he's, he's put something in our hearts. And it's this idea of eternity. And the way this is usually meant is God has given us a longing to be with him forever. But that's not the context. Look at the, the finishing of that sentence. He has also said eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from beginning even to the end. This word eternity... Some translations actually use the word world. It's a it's a rather vague Hebrew term that is translated various ways. And it can mean uh, for the ages, kind of like what we mean by eternity. But I think what he's getting at here, he's not talking about heaven. He's not talking about truly eternal things. He's talking about the future. That seems to fit the context much better. God decides what time it is. He's made everything appropriate in his time. He's set this desire in our heart to know what the next season is going to be, the future, eternity from that perspective. Again, get set out of your mind a minute, The you know, forever and ever and ever. No, it's, it's, it's the thing that's coming next. He wants us to know that. I mean, I mean he's put it in our de- in our heart a desire to know that, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done. In your life, so that you won't know what God has done from the beginning of your life to the end, we're on this continuum. You were born. You know the date of that birth. You're going to die. You don't know the date of your death. Only God knows that. You are somewhere in the middle. You're on this timeline, and you don't know exactly where you are on the timeline, And you don't know what's going to happen between your point on the timeline and the end point. None of us do. We want to, but we don't know where we are. And what Solomon has concluded here is that God does this on purpose. He's put this desire in and then he frustrates that desire. He doesn't want us to know what the next season is. And we get very frustrated at that because we want to be in control. We want to be certain. We want to depend on our own strength and wisdom to decide what to do. And God says, I don't want you depending on your own strength and wisdom. What does Solomon say elsewhere in Proverbs? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't trust in you with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on what? On your own understanding. Acknowledge God in all your ways and he will make your paths straight. If he were to tell us what's coming and what the next season is, then we would try to figure it out and we would take comfort in our own abilities. And then when good things happen, we would give ourselves the credit because we anticipated this and look what happened. And when bad things happen, we would feel a responsibility that maybe we shouldn't feel. Verse 12, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is a gift of God. So what's his conclusion after all this? We are frustrated God frustrates us. We don't know the future. So, what do you do with that? Just enjoy today. Just enjoy today. Eat today and trust Him. Drink today and trust Him. Do your work and find good in it and trust Him. It's God's gift if you can do it. Again, we talked about this the other day. Jesus said, Don't be anxious for tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough concerns of its own. You cannot, by being worried about tomorrow, change anything. Uh, I, I phrased that wrong, didn't I? Today has enough concerns of its own, so don't worry about tomorrow. Just take take care of today. Pray for your daily bread today and trust him for tomorrow. I see a, a comment here from Lon, and congratulations, Lon, for, uh, I know you were having some tec- technical difficulties, so I'm glad you could join us. He says, is that a faith issue Verse eleven, uh, is it a faith issue? I'm not exactly sure what uh, what you're asking. Verse eleven, he's made everything appropriate in his time. He has set an eternity. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I think I think you are asking what I was about to answer. Um, he wants us just to trust him, and and not depend on our own ability and everything. Yeah, good uh, good question and observation. So here's how he wraps this section up. Verse 14, I know that everything God does will remain forever, everything. Whatever he decides, that's what's gonna stay. There's nothing to add to it. There's nothing to take from it. For God has so worked that men should fear him. That right there, that's what he's doing. Solomon tells us, David told us, This is the beginning of wisdom. Fear God. Don't fear circumstances. Don't fear other people. Don't fear the enemy of our souls. Fear God. Live to please God. Live to be concerned with what God wants. And then enjoy life. And some days, some seasons of life, that's uncomfortable. It's unpleasant. It's hard. Other times... It's, it's joyful, it's wonderful, it's easy. Either way, we can be sure God is the one in control and his purpose is to bring us to a greater dependence and commitment to him. He's working all things together for our good, for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And we have to fight for that. But if we accomplish that dependence on him, that fear of him, we will have real joy. So, any other questions? Any other uh, thoughts before we uh, before we wrap this up for the week? Uh, again, as I reflect on all of this, and and I'm sure you can get there too if you if you spend the time. This is the path to joy. Uh, if we are in control, if we if we think we are in control, if we think we have to determine how to handle every situation, and that we can de- we can decide how this goes, we know we're not capable. And it's, it's worrisome, and it's frustrating, and our joy is swallowed up in that pride and that fear. But if we trust God, then we can have great joy. Yeah, Brother Curtis says here, finding joy in the struggle. Yes, and not just the struggle in and of itself, maybe, but the struggle because we know that God is the one who brought this about. That does not make it easy. There's a difference between joy and feeling um, uh, nonchalant, sera sera. no, that's not it. Uh, joy can sometimes be in the midst of really, really difficult things and uncertainty. And we, we can't help but be anxious, but we are told what to do with that, right? We bring that to the Lord, and just because you're concerned about how this might turn out, that doesn't mean you're fearful. Uh, the Bible doesn't say just put on the happy face. Uh, no, there's real reason to take stock of what's happening and and think through the possible consequences here. And and there's a, there's a, a kind of what we call worry that I don't think we can get around or should get around. The kind that, that motivates us to seek the Lord, to make wise decisions, uh, to take stock of, of how we're supposed to act. But when that weighs us down and overwhelms us, that's when we uh, are crossing over into sin, when we don't trust the Lord, or when we think we can handle everything. Yeah, find joy in that. And, uh, and it's, it can be done, Solomon tells us. Well, folks, that wraps up this first week. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for the encouraging comments. And I hope that the Lord will fill you with great joy this weekend as you fear him, as you follow him, as you seek to just enjoy all of his many gifts. No matter what season you're in, I know some of you are in a really hard season. Stay the course. Trust him. There will be a season of laughter coming. And for those in the season of laughter, well, enjoy it and then realize there will be a season of sorrow coming until we see him face-to-face when it will only be wonder and pure happiness. All right, have a great weekend. We will see you on Monday.